0: What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Haley Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need a throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski. his college football show jam-packed tonight as uncle jimmy would say down in lionville alabama if you start at quarterback for the university of alabama your word is gold greg mcelroy started for quarterback for alabama his word sounds like this if you're covering the sport the right way like josh pate does i'm gonna listen to your show i'm gonna support you and hey what's good for the goose is good for the gander we want the sport to be covered the right way So we're going to play a game that Josh Pate's played for the last six, seven months. That's what if. Thank you, Gregory. We're jam-packed high atop an excited downtown Nashville, Tennessee. And why are we excited? Yes, we have college football on the horizon, but we're also excited around here tonight because it is time for us to reveal not only the name of the 2023 tour, but week one destination also on tap tonight. We'll do that at some point in the show. Overrated teams, underrated teams. I'm debuting the JP poll Sunday night, but I'm gonna give you a little sneak peek. We have leaks happening on the show tonight. I'm gonna give you eight teams. Four of them I think are overrated, four of them I think are underrated. And I'm gonna tell you exactly what the JP poll slash model thinks about it. The, believe it or not, it's not gonna be on the show tonight. The model is lower on Texas than the AP poll is. You will not see a bigger upset this year. Uh, I got camp intel. I mean, I got a loaded batch of camp intel for you. The Bama quarterback situation warrants its own segment tonight. There are some rumors. There are some things floating around out there. They got a big scrimmage this weekend. This is legitimately a national championship caliber team, and they have no clue who's going to start at quarterback. So I'm going to try and make some sense of that. As I said, it is so jam-packed tonight. I'm happy to have you with us. Waxahachie, Texas is tuned in, and it's not even Chris Hummer, so we got at least more than one viewer there. Milton, Florida, Louisville, Kentucky, Salt Lake City, Utah, we appreciate you guys so much. Just a little heads up, and then I got to get moving because we got a lot to get to. Sometime in the next seven days, the Pate State store is opening, and I'm not announcing it. It'll just happen, and it'll be there, and I'll probably send you a little heads up on the socials. We got some good stuff in there. Some limited supply stuff, but some good stuff in there. I would just encourage you guys to be watching the live show Sunday night. That's all I'll say right now. <sighs> Camp intel everywhere. Stuff is starting to happen. Uh, roster moves, depth chart moves are starting to be made. I got to start at Penn State. So getting a good batch of intel from State College, hearing really good things about their tight end room. Wouldn't be the first time they've had a good tight end room up there. But they lost Brandon Str- or Brenton Strange. To the NFL. So, a lot of times in preview magazine season, everyone's about who you lost. And there may be some names like Theo Johnson, for example. People have watched Theo Johnson there before, and make no mistake, they expect big things from Theo Johnson this year. However, Tyler Warren is the name I want you paying attention to. If you're watching Big Ten play this year, if you're watching Penn State West Virginia week one, There are people close to the Penn State program who think Tyler Warren is probably the best kept secret there. He played last year, but he played with, I think it was an undisclosed injury. He's full go. Uh, He is a mismatch. Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren both make up a really, really good and probably underrated Penn State tight end room. Keep an eye. I believe number 44 there, Tyler Warren. Keep an eye on him. We're already really high on Penn State this year. I have not given out our Big Ten predictions quite yet, but... He's one of many reasons why. What's happening at Kentucky? I caught some grief today. I caught some flack because I said, out of all the teams, I mean, every one of them, guys, out of all the teams that I've gotten intel on in college football, there is no program where it sounds like things are going better than expected behind the scenes uh, than Kentucky. Hearing a lot of good things out of Lexington. So. You know Devin Leary's coming in, and he's starting at quarterback for them, and he's replacing Will Levis. Now, again, Preview Magazine culture would lead you to believe that a program like Kentucky, quote-unquote, cannot lose a guy the caliber of Will Levis and just keep on ticking. Well, I'm going to do you one better. And I'm not alone in this, by the way. There are people really informed around that program who feel the same way. I'm going to suggest to you they could lose Will Levis and improve at quarterback. Now, it doesn't just have to do with Devin Leary. I'm going to get to him in a second, but bringing Liam Cohen back as your offensive coordinator also has a lot to do with this. But let me talk to you about Devin Leary. So Leary comes in from NC State. He started like a million games. He looked good in the spring, but he was kind of like a quiet sort of leader in the spring. Uh, He's really emerged, man. Like fall camp, could not have gone better. It's probably been a better than best case scenario as it relates to what Kentucky thought they were getting in Devin Leary and what they have gotten in him. They haven't played a game yet. I know they're 0 I get everything that you're saying to me in the replies. I can predict what the comments are going to say already. They hit a grand slam. Can you imagine if Devin Leary was in Tuscaloosa, Alabama right now, for example? Kentucky got him. There's a world where Kentucky gets the best quarterback play in the SEC this year. And I'm talking about pound for pound, all things considered. There's a world where that happens. Um, So that means there's a world where Kentucky's really good. I think their offensive line has come along probably as good or better than they thought it would. Again, getting Liam Cohen back at offensive coordinator means a lot here. Uh, But Aaron Gershon has given us a lot of really good feedback over at catspaws.com. That's our Kentucky site for those interested in the 24-7 Sports Network. Keeping all of your eligibles alive is always really good feedback you get on the offensive side. Like when you're trying to compliment a quarterback and you're looking at him in fall camp and he hasn't ever played for you before, when when offensive-minded people say things like he keeps all of his eligibles alive, it just means he keeps his options alive. He's really good about progressions. He's really good about checking down. He's really good about spreading the ball around. Doesn't get too fixated on one target. They got a really good quarterback at Kentucky this year. They're over-under win total seven and a half. So I had some of you come at me and say, well, we, it was the Texas thing, except insert Kentucky. Well, we do this every year. We do what every year? Well, we hype up Kentucky. I don't. Well, some people do and they never deliver. Dude, they've got two 10-win seasons in the past five years there. Before that, last time they did it was the late 70s. The last time Kentucky won double-digit games before this recent stretch was the year Rumors came out by Fleetwood Mac. This is the second show in a row I've been able to reference rumors. What are you talking about? They've been great. It's Kentucky. Just because they're not getting Alabama and Georgia results doesn't mean they've underachieved. They've massively overachieved. It's Kentucky. That's the whole point. So I hear really good things out of the Bluegrass State. Now, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on Texas because we talked about them last show, but I wanted to switch over to the other side. Everyone's talking about the bright, shiny objects. Everyone's talking about Texas and wide receiver room, as are we. And running back, room, and quarterback, as are we. But our guy Chip Brown over at Horns 24-7, I saw he put out his position group confidence meter, which is almost a good enough idea where I think we should steal it, by the way. But you know what's crazy is out of all of the out of all the position groups on that team, a guy that covers the team as close as anyone thinks defensive line is the most confident position for Texas right now. Now Would you just think that on the surface? I would have thought wide out. That's number two, by the way. So Texas, when you think about them in your mind over the past few years, what do you think about? Because I think about them not being able to stand up for four quarters defensively. I think about them getting thrown on a lot. And yet, what have we been talking about? On this show, at least, we've we've talked a fair amount about the offense. But I told you, and I'll tell you again because it's the feedback I keep getting, it has not been easy to run the ball in those Texas practices, and I don't think it's because their offensive line is terrible. I don't think it's because that running back stable is terrible. I really think they've improved massively the kind of bodies they have on the lines of scrimmage, specifically on the defensive front, and starting to develop depth there as well. They haven't had that. Folks can casually tell you all they want to, oh, Texas has always had talent. We've gone over that. No, they haven't. Not like this, they haven't. So, Offensive line, I, look, I think offensive line is going to be okay for them. I think they're facing a really, really overwhelming unit at times in practice. And so the feedback we get right now is it is not easy going, trying to run between the tackles against that Texas front. Let's keep an eye on it. Let's keep an eye. What about West Virginia? Uh, Michael Kazaza runs Ear Sports. And Ear Sports is the place you can go if you want a lot more on West Virginia. But There's a lot of hot seat talk around Neil Brown. We don't do a whole lot of the hot seat stuff on this show. I reference it. It's reality. Uh, There's a lot of pressure on Neil Brown to win this year. He's on his third offensive coordinator in three years. He will call plays this year. They haven't been a great portal team. Uh, The reality is West Virginia is probably going to have to be a great portal team. They haven't been maybe until now. And I'm skeptical. Maybe until now they feel like they probably hit better in this past cycle than they did the past few cycles. Devin Carter was a guy they got from the portal who will probably be a number one receiver for them or at least an integral part of their passing offense. He was the number 72 ranked transfer. He was the number 15 wide receiver. He came from NC State. So he headed out when a lot of the other guys headed out. Uh, They got a couple of uh, DBs, Anthony Wilson, uh, Beanie Bishop. Beanie Bishop, really good name. Possible all-name candidate there. So if West Virginia hit on those guys, it's no guarantee. It's, It's not like all of a sudden you sound the upset horn against Penn State in week one. But those kind of guys could be the difference in five wins versus eight wins and Neil Brown being there next year versus him not. So that's something to keep an eye on. And at Ole Miss, I didn't want to get past this before mentioning... Michael Trigg was their number one tight end last year. And Trigg's running with the twos, or at least he has been the last few practices. And that's because Caden Prescorn is running with the ones. And I say that name very delicately, Caden Prescorn. He comes there by way of Memphis and uh, had 602 receiving yards, seven touchdowns for Memphis last year. Depth, at the very least, being provided at the tight end position. They have a defense at Ole Miss made up almost entirely of transfers. Listen to this. So uh, I think it was yesterday or maybe today, just recently in practice, if you look at the starting 11 on defense, eight of the 11 transferred there within the last two cycles. When we were at SEC Media Days, someone asked Lane Kiffin, do you know the names of all the players on your roster? And Kiffin was honest and said, I probably couldn't pass that test right now. And look, that's not, that's not really that big a deal in the transfer portal era when you're as active as they are. If most guys were honest with you, the ones who have to be active, several of them would say that. And he was talking about the spring, by the way. He was saying, in the spring, we were on the practice field and we'd be watching post-practice film and would be calling guys by numbers because we literally couldn't remember their names just boom, boom, off the top of our head. Uh, Franklin by the way, is it, so I'm looking at Zachariah Franklin not practicing because I remember back in the spring, this is still old Miss. I remember back in the spring, they had to dismiss Chris Marshall and they, they were needing help out of the portal at wide receiver. And so they got Franklin and he figured to possibly be a number one for him. He hasn't practiced. So it's not like an immediate crisis right now, but you got, you know, You got chemistry to build, hopefully. You got Jackson Dart still running with the ones at quarterback for those not keeping track. So there are a lot of things in a state of flux right now as it relates to Ole Miss. And that's what, again, as Meemaw said, that's what what God invented fall camp for. We need to give away a chalice right quick. This has been going great. This has been going wonderfully. So uh, a chalice of supremacy is earned when you support the show in a very, very public manner, and when you promote the show in a very, very public manner. Maybe we should send McElroy one, by the way. But tonight, tonight we're sending a chalice to our buddy Nathan. What has Nathan been up to lately in his life? Well, he's been moving from somewhere in Indiana to somewhere in Utah. He provided the GPS screenshot as evidence. He said, I'm moving cross-country, and I put subscribe to Late Kick all over my car. Is this chalice worthy? Well, Nathan, paper pop. Chalice on the way, my friend. DM me your shipping info, and Jesse slash new Meredith, whoever gets here first, we'll get on that, and we'll get a chalice sent your way. Thank you guys so much. The the August of Chalice giveaway continues on the Sunday night show, and I appreciate it. I've seen a lot of you. I can't give one to everyone. I've seen a lot of you, and I sincerely appreciate it. Make sure you like the video, by the way, if you're watching live here. A growing audience as we speak. Let's do some what ifs here. What ifs have hit chapter 27, and they're getting more and more creative as evidenced by this first what if tonight. Not quite sure what level of boldness this would be, but Dylan said, what if a team not named LSU or Alabama or Texas A&M wins the SEC West? Well, it would be an earthquake in the SEC. It would be an earthquake in the college football playoff picture. We are, of course, left with either Ole Miss, Auburn, Arkansas, or Mississippi State winning the division. That means one of those teams play in Atlanta. Auburn's played there recently. Obviously, none of the others have been there recently. So, number one, I think about who's waiting for them in Atlanta. Probably Georgia. And you would probably suggest that that means someone's being served up to them. Again, that's all probably because that's what August is about. Who would you think it is, though? Just for fun. Would you think it's Auburn? Would you think Ole Miss just struck lightning in a bottle or found lightning in a bottle over there in Oxford? Uh, You know my proclivity for loving Arkansas. Love them. But I felt a little Mississippi State energy on this. Mississippi State is the one that gets LSU and Bama at home. They don't play Georgia in the regular season. They get Ole Miss at home at the end of the year, and really nothing is known about them, which is ridiculous because you should know everything you need to know about them. And I'm speaking as as the future college football commissioner who tries to know all about every team. I'm saying the public is out to lunch on Mississippi State. It's one of the most underrated teams in the country. I'm going to talk to you about them later in the show. No one knows anything about them. And like 18 or 19 of their returning starters are going to be seniors this year. It's wild. Also, you got like a, a 15 million yard career passer who's returning at quarterback and people are like, oh, Mississippi State, hmm, kind of enigmatic, don't know much about them. They'd probably be the one that pulled this off. If someone pulled this off, it's a stretch. I'll grant you that. But if someone did it, maybe it's Zach Arnett. Oh, by the way, that's the story of the year. If Zach Arnett takes them to Atlanta, you know, we saw Brian Kelly do it out of nowhere last year. Maybe it's, maybe it's Arnett's turn. Next up, this one gets a little... This one gets a little spicy. Braden said, what if Florida State trounces both Miami and Florida in November? Point spread alert, we got them for you. FSU is minus 15 at home against Miami. That's in week 11, so over a two touchdown favorite. In week 13, they are favored by nine on the road against Florida. Those are current lines. You could bet money on those right now if you wanted to. Not quite Ramen Noodle Express material yet, We'll see. What does trounce mean? Is it two touchdowns? Well, if it is, you just pushed basically against Miami. Like that's not out of the realm of possibility at all. And you covered, but even not significantly against Florida. Uh, FSU is favored pretty much to do this. So if they do it, I guess they lived up to expectation. That's the funny thing about expectation. All of a sudden you have to live up to it when it's higher. Uh, The second thing would be, imagine recruiting. Recruiting. Imagine what they're saying in recruiting. Imagine Mike Norvell and his staff being able to go into living rooms and say, hey, every, everything else they sell you is irrelevant. We're selling you results. Look what we just did. And it's not going to stop. And whether they're right about that or not, they would have earned the right to preach that in living rooms. Uh, they would probably also, let's just be real about this, they would also trigger a massive spike in donations their NIL fund down there would massively um, benefit because of this. So it would, it would all be trending up for Florida State. And then you also have to ask the very, very here and now question of, well, if they trounced both of them, was it en route to going undefeated in the regular season? Like, did they also do it to Clemson? Whom stouts did they trounce? So that could be fun times, not in Gainesville or Coral Gables necessarily, but that could be fun times. Next up, Let's go to the Big Ten. Marshall said, "What if Wisconsin upsets Ohio State and wins the Big Ten West? Well, Luke Ficklestock would go through the roof. I would argue it should already be there, but it would validate his vision. They're doing a lot of things different at Wisconsin this year. Some, like myself, think it'll pay off and pay off pretty big time. I don't know about year one, but they took steps to try and immediately win. They took steps in the transfer portal, namely at quarterback. To try and immediately win. So, when does this game happen? This little Ohio State Wisconsin tilt. Well, it happens. What week is it, Jesse? Colin, you don't have to put the schedule up. Week nine. Okay, so it's a little bit later in the year. Uh, I think it's Ohio State's toughest road game, at least in conference. They have to go to Notre Dame, too. The line's nine and a half on this game right now. You could also bet that right now. Ohio State minus nine and a half. It would be a great sign for the Big Ten. It would also be history. Because this is the last year of divisions up there, and if Wisconsin wins, if, if they go on, let's just say to win the conference, the Big Ten West would break an 0 for streak. They are0 and nine. The Big Ten West is0 and9 in the conference title game. They never won one. So uh, how fitting would that be? And also, what kind of mess? What kind of blender would this throw Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State into if Wisconsin just goes on? I know you just said win division. I'm having fun with it. What if they win the whole conference? And lastly, what about Washington? I'm talking Washington a little bit later in the show, too, so you want to stick around for that. But in the meantime, Brooks said, what if Washington wins the Pac-12? Well, they've got the number two odds to win the Pac-12, and that's recent. They overtook Oregon in the odds market. Does someone know something? I don't know. It wasn't me. I didn't bet on him yet. So this means Michael Penix shined. This means Michael Penix changed his life forever. I mean, he's about to make life-changing money, and he was not on a path to do that two years ago by this point at Indiana. They will also, Washington, they they may also become the only Pac-12 team to make the playoff twice. And then they'll they'll, speaking of two, just keep holding those two fingers up but then all of a sudden it's deuces to the Pac-12. We gone. We're headed to the Big Ten. So it would be like one of, the, one of the most cruel or appropriate curtains to drop on the chapter of college football that was the Pac-12, depending on your perspective. Let's go! It's the most all-star-studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. I got so much to get to. We are going to announce a tour destination, a tour name. I got a lot to get to. Uh, Academy Sports and Outdoors is where I would like to get you, probably after the show. Academy Sports and Outdoors. Also, I should remind you, it is time to gear up for tailgating season. And that's really, to me, where Academy shines. Yes, the spring sports... Yes, outdoor camping, et cetera, grilling, et cetera, they're your destination. But man, when I go to Camp I, which is the plural of campus, when I go to Campi in the fall and I see those tents all over the place, I really learn a lot about the character of someone based on whether it's an academy sports and outdoors tent or just some generic tent. Like if you're already gonna buy one, why not do yourself the favor of shopping with the best? And by best, I don't mean highest priced either. Quite the opposite in most cases. And then you've got to have the chairs as well. So they got the tents, they got the chairs, they also have the thing you have to grill your food on. Uh, In some cases, who knows? You stop by Academy at the right time and they may have even more than that. But if you can't get there in person, can't stress enough, Academy.com is there for all of your outdoor sporting goods needs, your tailgating needs, your life needs. I'm told the cashiers give really good life advice. And that's not in the ad copy for me to read. And I know I'm putting a lot of pressure on the Academy cashiers across the country, but they can handle it. I know these people. They can handle it. So Academy Sports and Outdoors, they make our show free for you. Feel free to give them a visit. It's that time, people. It's time for us to dust off the JP poll. And Sunday night, I'm going to. I'm going to show you the full JP poll. I probably should refresh your memory as to what that is, because we have like... Tons of new listeners and viewers. A long time ago, we got tired of the AP poll. Welcome to the club, right? A lot of you have felt that way for a long time. But why complain when you can do something about it? And so I started to do the JP poll. And that's really taking our model, and I'm not alone on this. I partner with someone who does numbers for a living, just eats, sleeps, and breathes numbers, looks at a calculator and is actually attracted to that thing. That's how good this person is with numbers. And I partnered with this person and we developed our own model over the years. We use it to bet a lot, but that's not what this is about. This is about power ratings. This is about developing a more true North Star rating system than the very, very hapless AP poll can sometimes be. The AP poll will let you down. The JP poll will too, just not nearly as often. Thus our motto. So what I wanted to do is Sunday night, I'll debut that whole thing. But tonight... I wanted to give you four teams that I think are underrated, AP poll compared to JP poll, and I wanted to give you four teams that are overrated in the interest of fairness, AP poll versus JP poll. So, Colin, here's your endpoint paper stack. Let's look at the AP poll. Let's compare it to our inside baseball JP poll, and let's talk about most underrated teams in the country. Out of all the teams in the top 25 where the AP disagrees with our model the most, The Oregon Ducks are the most underrated team in the top 25. The AP has them at 15. You know where the model had the audacity to rank Oregon? The JP poll has Oregon at number five. Five, people. I said five, as in on the precipice of playoff contention. Uh, That's the biggest discrepancy. I think Bo Nix is still undervalued. The model thinks Bo Nix is still undervalued as a quarterback. But also, and this is where I think rubber probably meets road, about the discrepancy, we think their line of scrimmage talent, both sides, is still a little undervalued. And that especially goes for offensive line because they're having to replace a lot. So in preview season, in August camp season, people still sometimes can't get it through their heads that just because you're replacing departed starters, it doesn't always mean you fall off. We don't think Oregon's fallen off a lot there. And conversely, on the other side of the ball, we think there's a pretty sizable improvement coming this year. So the totality of the roster, the value of the quarterback position, the year one to year two coaching advantage that I think they'll get from Dan Lanning and a lot of his staff having been there a full year, and the energy around the program, which you can't really quantify, that's got Oregon way up there in the model, way up there. Number five? Are you crazy? No. No. So stay tuned on where we predict them to go in the Pac-12 and beyond. Next up, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. Am I gonna do it? Yeah, I'm gonna do it. Texas A&M, one of the most underrated teams in the country. Someone call Lucci and tell them to watch the show. AP has A&M at 23. Frankly, I was shocked they ranked A&M. So good on the voters. They got A&M at 23rd. It's not high enough. The model, the JP poll, has A&M at 14th. Now, we just aren't baking in 2022, and if you're an AP voter, what else do you have to go on, right? So you're baking in 2022. We're all about where we think the team is now. We're we're about where we think the team is going. So whether you won close games or lost close games last year, the model would just look at you as the same team, roughly. I know an AP voter doesn't think that way. We love the roster. Uh, We think the staff upgraded. There was a net upgrade there, and that counts. I'm not quite at the Dave Bartu level of you know, properly rating and grading every coach in America here, here there in Yon, as a JR would say, but we do think there was a staff upgrade. This is a top five team in blue chip ratio. It is a top five roster in college football. I know the record was bad last year. It's all the more reason to me to expect a little bounce back. Number two defense projected by S&P plus in the country this year. We think a and underrated. Number 14. How about that? Again, you want story of the year potential. There it is, right in front of your face in College Station. I'm staying in the SEC West, and this this is where it's time to crack the knuckles a little bit. Mississippi State's the most underrated team on this list for us. The AP had Mississippi State ranked 40th preseason. We've got them top 25, at number 25, actually. So the JP poll, our internal model, has Mississippi State as a top 25 team. This is one of those classic logo and schedule flaw and logic conundrums. We don't have an acronym for that right now, but we should. So the logo Mississippi State automatically has a connotation. People are, are not apt to believe in it blindly. The schedule is something that never should enter the equation when you're ranking a team. And that goes a little something like this. Oh, where should I rank Mississippi State? Well, let's look at their schedule. I think they'll go seven and five. That's irrelevant, totally irrelevant. It, it, whether they play a Connecticut high school schedule or they play in the NFC West, they are the team they are. So in power ratings land, we couldn't care less who they play uh, because that it's a variable that shouldn't be baked into the quality of team they are. Imagine this though, when you want to know to me how flawed the doubt is around Mississippi State, I want you to imagine a more established ACC or Big 10 West brand that returns a 10,000-yard career passer. 20 of 22 starters being seniors, they got grown men everywhere, nine wins last year, their losses among those four were to LSU, Georgia, that's literally your SEC title game, Alabama, which won the Sugar Bowl, and Kentucky. I think if that team's in the Big Ten West, I think if that's an ACC team, they're in the preseason top 15. They're not there because it's Mississippi State and I would also be remiss if I didn't mention the the coaching situation, a very abnormal coaching situation. So I think that's being baked in the wrong way. I think that's a top 25 team. And by I, I mean me and the model. And lastly, why not go to Lubbock, Texas? And I'm going there because Texas Tech is one of the most underrated teams we have in college football this year. Now the discrepancy is not as big. So the AP has Texas Tech at 26 what a disgrace the red raiders not even in the top 25. Well, we took care of them. We got them at 21. Models love in Texas Tech, coming off the most wins since 2013. Now, that doesn't necessarily matter when it's baked into this year, but I want to remind you, this is not a team that's been left for dead. They showed signs last year. I personally think we probably have Tyler Shuck rated higher as a quarterback than maybe an AP voter does in his or her mind. And I just want to remind you guys, you're free to doubt It's your constitutional right to doubt a quarterback. It's one of the amendments, actually, according to three-year Letterman. And I just want to remind you guys, as you decide who to doubt and who not to doubt, Tyler Shuck is 8-0 in games he starts and finishes at Texas Tech. It gets no better. I guess the health could get better, but the record gets no better. There's an energy around the program, also non-quantifiable, unquantifiable, maybe even inquantifiable. They're better than 26. That's what I'm telling you. There, there is dark horse, big 12 title contention energy around Texas Tech this year. And I know that sentence was a little bit too convoluted to put in the hype video, but I believe in Texas Tech, so you can put that in there. However, as we know, with every batch of underrated comes a batch of overrated. So, um, sorry, Colin had to reach for the chapstick, very unprofessional. Still a very low dew point in Nashville. That's about to change. Um, so these are the kinds of things that I get accused of never doing. Speaking negatively of people. So I do want to, I do want to warn you, I'm about to say some mean things about some teams. And I just want to remind you, it's not me. Don't take it personal. When good things are said, feel free to quote me. When bad things are said, it's the model. Hold on just a second. Hey, Cole Kubley, how can I help you, sir? Did you steal my idea yet? I, you don't ever give me ideas. Goodbye. There were some allegations that I was going to steal an idea from Cole Kubley. Uh, whether that idea has already been stolen and used in the show yet, don't ask me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very, very bad source on that. All right, so let's talk about some overrated teams. And remember, if your feelings get hurt, it wasn't me. It's the model. One of the more overrated teams as it relates to the AP poll versus the JP poll, is North Carolina. The AP has North Carolina at 20th. The JP poll has North Carolina outside the top 25, barely, at number 26. This is a Drake May ranking to me. I think them being at number 20 is a quarterback ranking, which is fine, because you're not going to hear me say anything negative about that guy. But the defense may still be a mess, guys. We're talking top 20 now. You put him in the top 20. Uh, I, I don't know about that. Also, Antoine Green and Josh Downs combined for over 1,800 receiving yards last year. Now, I am the first to tell you that just because you lose players at the college game does not really mean much of anything. You may have replenished the coffers with better players than you lost. And they tried to do that with Devontae Walker. Well, my problem, which is really an NCAA problem, is his waiver hasn't been approved yet. So I don't even know if he's going to play. As of now, he is not on their roster. And so I don't know what to do with that. I will tell you that's not going to make a massive difference in a a team rating, obviously. But they lost 15 defenders to the portal. I just, I don't know that I see the caliber of athlete defensively here. And I don't know that Drake May can single-handedly carry a team uh, to a top 20 level performance this year. So we got him at number 26. Next up, and I'm going to admit to you, this surprised me a little bit, but we got Washington as one of the most overrated teams in the preseason. Now, again, this surprised me, but, but the model knows what the model knows. So the AP has Washington all the way up at number 10. The JP poll has Washington at 23. Uh, for the record, that's a gap of about 4.75 points, which is not small immunity. Um, I look at what Michael Penix did last year, and it was wonderful. I look at what Washington did last year, and it was wonderful. I think what the model sees is this is not a stacked roster talent-wise, and it's always going to factor that in. And also, when you perform that far above whatever your talent expectation would have you performing at, unless you've done it 10 years in a row, it's going to think that you probably were above your skis a little bit, or actually, not, it's not, that's the wrong metaphor. You probably uh, were as Mimo would say, a little bit too big for your britches one year. And so your results are probably going to come back more towards where they should be the next year. That's not all-encompassing, doesn't always happen that way, but they had a school record in total yards last year. Penix was on fire last year. Is it more likely that you have a team that's just about to do that out of the gate again, or is it more likely that you look at them and say, hey, they're good again this year, but just not quite at the level that we saw them last year? They're still top 25. Uh, They just, I think they need a better talent level to warrant that top 10 consideration. And also, pass defense was a problem last year. Is that the kind of unit that improved? How much did they improve? Um, Still believe in them. Again, they're not off a cliff, but I got them much lower than the AP. What about Kansas State, man? This one also surprised me. Are we anti-purple? It's a valid question, I think, at this point. The AP has Kansas State at 16. Uh, And the JP poll has them all the way at 33. I know some folks on that staff. I think I'm going to hear from them. And this is exactly why I'm ready to throw the model under the bus. I'm not taking any blame for this. Okay. Go Wildcats. That's a quote from JP here. But as for the JP poll down on Kansas state, Deuce Vaughn was a really important player there. Now, big time players go to the draft all the time. At a place like Kansas State, where they're not perennially parked in the top 10 of recruiting, it matters more when they walk out the door. They lost their top corner. Uh, They lost a great pass rusher to the first round. I believe in Chris Kleiman. I believe in the program. Actually, I think it's one of the most solid programs in America. However, we're talking about a top 15, uh, 16, a top 16 caliber performance here, according to the AP. I have a hard time seeing that, and so does the JP poll. It's pretty much as simple as that, guys. They lost too many high-impact players, and the model doesn't think that you just readily replace those guys in Manhattan, Kansas. That's the long and short of it. And lastly, this one's pretty easy to understand. The model thinks Tulane's way overrated. Uh, the AP, I think, Jesse, I had it written down backwards. So the AP has him at 24, and we got him at 49. But this is almost like its own separate category when you have G5 teams, they're held to a different standard. Uh, It's not fair, but no one's, it's like when when I had a sister three years younger than me growing up, my sister could walk up to me and slap me in the face. If I so much as thumped her on the ear, I'm getting in trouble. She's just held to a different standard. She could get away with things that I could not get away with. This is well-documented. Anyone around our household would know that, but her. And so with a G5 team, you know their talent roster does not match up with a team in the SEC. You know they would not be able to withstand an SEC schedule. You're just, as an AP poll voter, you're willing to overlook all that. You're willing to hold your nose or plug your ears and close your eyes and vote them up there anyway because you're actually willing to allow them to operate based on a different standard. Uh, Past success has a lot to do with this. Record projection has a lot to do with this. You know full well, if I had them play Arkansas schedule, their over-under win total would not be nine and a half. And yet they're up there anyway. I have no problem with Tulane. I know it sounds like I do. If we're trying to power rate teams, uh, there is no way that's a top 25 team. So in other words, what I'm saying is, I think there are more than 25 teams who I could put on a field with them tomorrow and it would go the way of them and not Tulane. That's all that means. Still a good team, a very good G5 team. It's just, uh, what are we doing here? I guess is the question. What are we doing here? I'll tell you what we're doing here. And this coming from a guy who went to a two lane game last year on the Every Given Saturday tour, I'll tell you what we're doing right now. It's time to announce the 2023 tour name, and it's time to announce where we're going week one. So we had a lot of submissions. I put the call out in the spring. Give me submissions. What do you think the tour name should be? Uh, we had some really good ideas. Before I tell you what the winner was, like three of you came up with an idea that was the 23 and Meemaw Tour. 23 and Me is that, that genealogy DNA quiz that they sell. And you hear me reference Meemaw on the show all the time. And it's the year 2023. And so some of you thought it should be called the 23 and Meemaw Tour, which is wonderful. It didn't win because I don't think enough people would have the slightest clue what that means, but it was wonderful. What I wanted to do this year is I wanted to hit on the finality of an era of college football, I think this will be big-time storytelling material one day. Like, for better or for worse, wherever you stand on the future of our sport and the current state of our sport, think about this year and how significant it is. And then also, think about how chaotic this season could be. Make no mistake, when they don't know who's going to start for them at quarterback yet in places like Tuscaloosa or Ohio State, uh, when Clemson has a lot of questions, so much so they had to fire a coordinator one year in and bring the guy from TCU in. When there are that many questions at major programs, you could be setting yourself up for the kind of year you tell your kids about one day, kind of like we talk about 2007. So I thought, how do we mix that romanticism and finality and sort of mysticism and storytelling into a game that's played on Saturday? And what we came up with is the once upon a Saturday tour. And where I'm going with the once upon a Saturday tour in week one is not even a Saturday game. We're headed to Salt Lake City, Utah for week one. That is Florida at Utah. And why are we going there? Because they're having the good sense to play a major out of conference game in a home venue instead of a neutral site. There are other good games in week one. A lot of them are at neutral sites. I've never been to Utah, never been to a game in Utah. We're going to change that. We get to go to Rice-Eccles Stadium. We get to go watch Billy Napier and the Gators, about an eight-point favorite, could be seven, could be nine by kickoff. Kyle Whittingham coming off yet another Pac-12 championship out there, just ho-hum, another Pac-12 title. This was a classic last year. I remember sitting in a Publix parking garage in downtown Nashville listening to the end of the game on a radio because I'd just gotten home from my week one game and I think this one could be as well. Just a, just a sneaky feeling that we picked an instant classic for week one. So the Once Upon a Saturday tour is upon us. Looking very forward to it, it would not surprise me at all if there was merch with that insignia on it in the Pate State store when it opens sometime within the next week. I'm so happy. College football is almost here. And, and yet there is so much left to be decided. So we did the camp intel to open the show, which we do to open pretty much every show in August. We were going to talk about Alabama. I have, I have fielded so many questions about Alabama, and I've gotten so much feedback, uh, which led to much of nothing from Alabama. I thought we should do our own segment on this for a second tonight. Uh, Colin, here's a better end point for you. Wild, wild times are unfolding in Tuscaloosa because they've got a championship roster down there, except they don't have the slightest clue who their quarterback's going to be. And I, I mean that. I mean, Nick Saban steps to the podium the other day in a post-practice press conference and says, hey, I've been telling the quarterbacks, force me to play you. He's just begging one of them, please emerge. I, I have recruited my tail off at every other position, and we thought we had this position sewn up. Think about that, by the way, guys. These were not scrubs. Ty Simpson had offers from coast to coast, Jalen Milrow, ditto, Uh, Tyler Buckner as well when he went to Notre Dame. And yet, you want to know what the most frequently texted question to me has been from some people who should know better over the past 72 hours? Josh, is is Dylan Lonergan going to end up starting for Alabama? No, he's not. But he's a really good player. And I know some of you saw him in that spring game. And he's, for the record, if you don't know who that is, that's a four-star true freshman. Probably, probably playing out of his mind right now because there's really not the same pressure on him that there is on those other guys. And I think folks who got access to that scrimmage and folks who have seen the spring game and folks who understand the mechanics of quarterback have looked at him and said, well, if everyone else is a question mark, what about this dude? Hey, if we're going to bite the bullet anyway, why don't we do it with a true freshman? Well, I'll tell you why. Because true freshmen make catastrophic decisions. And on a team that's going to probably be a pretty low margin for error outfit this year, they can't afford that. So in a world, for example, here's what I'm trying to tell you. In a world where the head coach there once upon a time wouldn't even start to a tongue of Iloa over Jalen Hurts, I highly doubt that Nick Saban's all of a sudden (sighs) rolling the dice on Dylan Lonergan. In time, that guy could be a star. I just don't think it's week one against Middle Tennessee State. So I want to move past that. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Uh, Because I'm not saying he hasn't shined. In fact, quite the opposite. I think he's opened a lot of eyes in fall camp. There's a big difference in opening eyes in the first scrimmage or the spring game and Nick Saban saying, you're my guy. That I don't think is happening there. But they do have a really key scrimmage coming up Saturday. When's the last time you saw Alabama not be a quarterback-centric team? Because they were with Bryce. They really were with Mac Jones. They certainly were with Tua. They were with Jalen Hurts, especially in the latter portion, although I would argue that was a little bit different dynamic on that team. But I'm talking about like Jake Coker, circa Alabama. And before you scoff at that, that 2015 team won a national championship. And so I'm thinking to myself, since spring, I've thought to myself, might they have the kind of team that can win regardless of who starts? And if it's really that close, or the competition down there is really that close, I'm thinking to myself, well, who would I go with? And you know, famously, I've changed my mind on this a million times. Now, I'm not on the Tyler Buckner train. Haven't been since he transferred there. Have never thought he was going to win the job. But Jalen Milrow, Ty Simpson, we're no closer really to an answer than I feel like we have been. I think if they started the season today, I think Milrow would be the starter. Doesn't mean much of anything. I mean, that could change change drive to drive this Saturday. But what I will tell you, and I'm going to keep harping on this, is there, there are a lot of folks out there and just someone's going to be really right on this and really wrong. There are a lot of folks out there who doubt that this team can be a championship caliber team because they think there's this massive hole at quarterback. I certainly agree with you if you say they don't have a star caliber quarterback. What I am also confident in is I think they got a legit offensive line and I keep hearing more and more things to make me more and more confident in that. Like Caden Proctor, for example, that left tackle out of Iowa, is going to start for them at left tackle and is going to be a stud. Uh, Ferguson, I think, at left guard has really come on. I think they go, like Nick Saban said, about seven or eight deep with guys they feel they can win with in the SEC, and you have not said that in a long time. I think they've been pounding the ball in practice like they hadn't been able to count on doing in a long time, and I think their defensive backs are playing at the caliber and really linebackers as well that they haven't in a long time. There's also this understanding, and frankly, I think this is happening at two places. I think it's happening at Bama, and I think it's happening at Ohio State right now, where those teams have known since opening spring camp, we don't have a C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young here, but all of us were former four and five stars, so the collective makeup in this locker room is good enough to win a title. Like, there's J.T. Tuamaloa over there in Columbus. There's Dallas Turner down here. They got half a dozen former five stars just at the edge position at Alabama. Those guys, I think, have been aware since spring, if we're going to win a title, it's not going to be a quarterback carrying us this year. You would be amazed at what that awareness does to pull a collective extra gear out of a team. Now, if you have a Bryce Young and he goes down and all of a sudden a deer in the headlights, true freshman's in at quarterback, and you haven't conditioned your mind all year to be ready for that, that's one thing. That that crew there has known since spring we don't really have much of a guy that can carry a team at quarterback. But we got a squad full of guys who can collectively, and I'm it's why I'm so fascinated to watch what Bama looks like. I think they can look ugly in week one. Like I think they can look terrible and and probably be up on middle Tennessee State like 16 to six or something like that, and everyone just punts on the season. And I think that they could probably play the most, most physical game you've seen out of Bama in like a decade against Texas. That goes either way. I think there is the potential for even the most hardcore of Alabama fans to completely give up on this team early in the year, only to see them become the best team in the country. Because I think that eventually the style that they want to play with uh, will take its toll. And I think they've got the depth to play that way. I think they got it at offensive line. I think they got it at running back. And I think whichever quarterback starts for them will round into giving them above average play. And that's about what I'd expect from whoever they start at quarterback. Anything more than that is wonderful. Don't count on it. Count on a, an assault style ground game and a quarterback that can play in a complementary fashion to that instead of the other way around. And count on that secondary being as deep and talented as you've had it in a while. If you can get that, you got a shot in every game you play. But it's going to be radically different. Radically different. And I will ask a question in closing that I asked to start this show. Can you imagine if Alabama would have gotten Devin Leary instead of Kentucky? Wow. They're watching us in Cartersville, Georgia. Springfield, Missouri. Ames, Iowa. I salute you guys. I know it's tough up there right now. We're all in this together. Everyone else has sold us down the river, but we're still in this together let's predict a record right quick. Let's do this. Let's go to the Pacific Northwest. Let's talk about Oregon. Oregon's coming off a year where they got blown out by Georgia in Dan Landing's first game. And then the rest of the way, they lost a three-point game to Washington, and they lost a four-point game to Oregon State, and that was it. They won the Holiday Bowl. They ended up going 10-3. and And um, there's a really, really wide range of prediction and expectation for them this year. I told you, and I'll tell you again, I think it's the most underrated team in all of the top 15 in the AP poll. Well, we've got Oregon as a top five team. The AP's got them number 15. So I think very highly of them. So naturally, when I go with best case out of the potential record scenarios for Oregon, I'm telling you if best case happens, there's an undefeated regular season in the cards for them. 12-0 is the best case for Oregon. There is strong disagreement in the building on this but there's only one microphone here. And you know how much I would love to put Jesse and Colin on air if I could, but we only had budget for one mic. I'm sorry. So I'm looking at Oregon and I'm asking myself, anytime I want to know best case scenario, I want to know who are your toughest games. Obviously, there is no Georgia on the schedule this year. Now they go to Texas Tech in week two. And that features two of the most underrated teams in the country for me, by the way. But if I look later in the year, because it's a backloaded schedule. If I look later in the year, they go at Washington. They're a two and a half point dog or two, depending on where you look. They go to Utah, one and a half point dog. They play USC at home. They're favored by two over USC. They play Oregon State at home. They're favored by seven. So if, if you're not projected to be any more than a two point dog at any point this year, of course there's a path for you to go undefeated. And as I talked to you about before in the show, I think line of scrimmage talent is being overlooked for them right now, O line specifically, because that's a perceived weakness by folks who saw them lose a lot. I don't think it's going to be as big a weakness, and I also think they're stacking defensive front talent uh, that allows them to be a lot more multiple than they were last year. And I love Bo Nix, so you know, I, for example, look at the Heisman poster they put all over New York City, and I say, good for them. I think we got an open wall in here if you guys want to explore that and experiment with that. But what about the worst case? Okay, we, we, we pumped them up a little bit there. Let's deflate the tires now. The worst case for Oregon would be seven and five. Admittedly, I got a lot of faith in what landing's gonna do in year two. But there is also the risk that it just doesn't fire. It doesn't click. And you're left with, with yourself asking the question, was year one the aberration? Is this really what we got? Why did we extend this guy? who else was coming after him? You know that whole song and dance. What if they can't replicate or replace that skill and starting experience on the offensive line? That's always a potential. Injury could pop up. That's everyone's worst case. You could just get bad Bo Nicks. Hey, what if, what if losing Kenny Dillingham as your offensive coordinator down to Arizona State as the new head coach there, what if that has a much bigger impact maybe than someone like me expects? And hey, while we're at it, maybe the rest of the Pac-12 was just better than everyone thought they were going to be. That all could be baked into having a 7-5 and five record for Oregon. But what's the most likely record? I toyed with 11-1 and one here. Their over-under is 9.5. I actually toyed with 11-1. and one. I went with 10-2 and two as the most likely. Uh, there is a strong lean as a result of that towards me picking them to win the Pac-12. I, I just, I love the personnel they have defensively. Like it is not a finished product over there. I like the personnel they have. I've told you guys since spring in a league that is really stacked at quarterback, getting after the quarterback is going to be the key to winning the Pac-12. And I think that Oregon's going to be able to do it. And so I think 10-2 and two is the most likely path here. That's an over if you're keeping track on the Vegas board. And, you know, that's flirting with playoff contention. That may very well be good enough to win the Pac-12. Oregon, really high on them this year, really high on them. They start with Portland State before they go to Texas Tech in week two. Let's round out this show as any well-rounded show would end with bold predictions. And let me make sure and ask you guys, because we got a really, really sizable audience in here. Click the thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel, subscribe, because we want 200K, and then click the like button. That's it. I'm not going to ask you to donate $5 or anything like that. I would return it if you sent it to us, but we will take likes and subscribes. That's what we want. Bold Predictions, Chapter 32, the things that you think will happen, so much so that you may bet your own money on it. We've got a, we've got a very, very bold segment tonight, actually. There is no bold prediction tonight below a nine on the one to 10 scale. The first one comes to us from Amarillo, Texas. That's where Rhett says, The Big 12 will lose every out-of-conference game in the Power 5 in Week 2. It's a loaded Week 2. The Big 12 is getting after it in Week 2. Texas is at Bama. Texas Tech plays Oregon at home. Oklahoma State's at Arizona State. Kansas plays Illinois. Iowa State plays Iowa. Simpson goes to Pitt. Baylor plays Utah. Big 12's probably favored in two, maybe three of these games. This is a 9.75 on the boldness scale. You're trying to do a six, you're trying to do a seven-way money line parlay. Uh, parlay is one of the many tools of the devil. Don't do it, kids, or adults. But if you're trying to do it, uh, this one's grading out at a 9.75. I don't know what more to say. It's just tough to do. Uh, just think about, think about if you go one for seven, but the one is Texas winning in, at Alabama. Like that would that would make up for and whitewash the entire rest of the losing weekend for the Big Twelve. Next up, we gotta go down to the Bayou for a second. Aaron from Jacksonville, Florida, well the prediction has to do with LSU at least. Aaron from Jacksonville said Malik Neighbors leads power five in receiving yards. Whew. this is a good player now, but you gotta be really good to do this. So last year, Malik Neighbors, LSU, had 72 catches, just over a thousand yards, three touchdowns, which sounds like a flawed stat line, but he only had three touchdowns. The leader in college football. Trivia question to end all trivia questions here. Who led power five in total receiving yards last year? And if you said Charlie Jones of Purdue, you don't win anything but pride, but wow, you earned my respect There were eight, there were at least eight. We couldn't dig the whole way because we were pressed for time today. We found at least eight guys who had more receiving yards last year than Malik Neighbors. So he has to have a dynamite season. They play eight of the top 40 defenses in college football preseason this year. So he's going to have to do it against really quality competition. JT, or uh, Jaden Daniels, not not JT. Who, deep in the show, guys. Jaden Daniels, the starting quarterback down there at LSU. He um, he had 10 times last year where he had under 250 passing yards. So things just have to get better. And he was already good last year. Like Neighbors was already good, but he's got to get better. So that's a nine for me. Malik Neighbors leading all of Power 5 in total receiving yards. That's a nine, maybe a 9.25 even. Next up, let's go to, let's go to an upset in week five. This would be a really big upset, actually. One of the biggest upsets of the season. Harris is from Enid, Oklahoma. And he said Nebraska is going to upset Michigan in week five. We have a point spread on this game. Nebraska is an 18-point home dog to Michigan. This will be the first road game for Michigan this year. Nebraska will have already played at Minnesota and at Colorado. So if you believe in being battle-tested, I guess they have that edge. Nebraska's too thin to do this. I think they're too thin to do this. And so I'm putting a 9.5 on it. I think this line will creep up more towards three touchdowns when more people actually bet it. So, but, but if it were to happen, Jeff Sims coming out party at quarterback, uh, certainly Matt Rule gets the Gatorade bath there. And man, it's it's off to the races at Nebraska. And lastly, and you want to know about, you want to know about a shock. You want shocking? In the words of Vince McMahon, tonight you'll get shocking. How about Joe's prediction from Rocky Mount, North Carolina? Joe just put it out there. He said Duke will make the ACC title game. Well, Joe, this is a 9.5 on the boldness scale, but I love you. I love you, Joe, for predicting this. Unfortunately, I think their best shot was last year, um, because last year we still had a divisional format. Last year they did not play six of the top seven preseason teams in the ACC, and mm, the thing about it is Duke's good. This is a good team. They could have the upset of week one if they were to knock off Clemson. And the only reason I haven't been talking about that game more is because I hit on it like five shows in a row back in July, and you guys told me to knock it off. Like, we get it. They could win. So, but but Duke could win that game. So, they're over under win total six and a half. They've got the eighth best odds in the ACC. So, they would need to massively overachieve. This is a 9.5. And the reason it's not higher. It's because I know about Mike Elko. I know about Riley Leonard. I know those guys could pull something crazy off, but that would be really crazy. Can you imagine being a Duke fan, being a Duke alum and buying ACC tournament tickets and then also just using some of that leftover to buy ACC championship tickets in football? Yeah, play it in your backyard up there, at least not too far from it. Guys, thank you so much for watching. It has been a privilege to be able to do this show for several years for you now, since 2020. But man, we're kind of hitting on a cylinder that the show hasn't hit on. And we're getting a lot of yeses around here that we didn't used to get. Getting a lot of requests that we didn't used to get. And it's all because of you. I mean, I'm still wearing the same white T-shirt. I've always So I appreciate you guys. For Direct Collins, for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Pate. Make sure you subscribe. Take care. Have a great day. And God bless.